This is the Masters of Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim. And I'm Tom. Um, this is a new thing that we are going to do. Every time they announce new releases, Masters of Cinema, we're going to record an episode discussing those releases instead of doing it in the regular episodes. It's been some time since they announced the second quarter announcements, but um, we decided to record an episode nonetheless, just because we love talking about Masters of Cinema. But before we get on to that, I thought we could just briefly talk about you, Tom, and uh, what you've been up to and uh, kind of the problems that have risen in your participation in the Master Cinema cast. Yeah, um, my life went into free fall and a tailspin of um, drugs, women and alcohol, <laughs> and I've managed to come out the other side a better person. No, actually, um, uh, my ex-partner and I, after many, many years together, this, uh called it a day last year and as in all these things it's the man who has to do the uh moving out of the house um you'll find as soon as you um split up with someone it's almost like a reflex action you just say you have the house and obviously that came with a number of problems um one of which was the fact that i only actually work part-time and i couldn't actually really afford to leave the house so had a few months living together whilst not actually being together, which um, is kind of like the worst thing in the entire world because mm-hmm. everything that you manage to suppress about... So everything that something that annoys you when you're with someone, you kind of bite your tongue. When you're not together, you just rip into each other and it gets <laughs> pretty messy quite quickly. So I had to then move house and buying a house in England, I'm, I'm pretty certain it's the same everywhere. It's an absolute nightmare from beginning to end. Um had several houses that I liked. Uh, deals fell through just an absolute nightmare eventually found the house that I'm in now and the kind of the whole process really of moving was an absolute nightmare and unfortunately it was just a case of I just did not have time really to sit down and record and the other side of that was I managed to uh, get a full-time job again um, this time actually doing something I really enjoy so I'm actually kind of on a daily basis now making films and take doing photography and stuff like that so I actually managed to get a career which is uh, for the first time in my life as opposed to kind of bimbling along so it's been a, quite a stressful few months but it's also been incredibly good at the same time because I you know, really do kind of love the job that I'm doing I've got a fantastic house um, the third floor of which is currently going to be converted into a cinema so yeah it's all going good and enjoying the kind of the I, I guess kind of living alone and being single again really it's been a long time since um i've actually kind of had that status and uh yeah it's, it's actually it's quite it's, it's good in a way you kind of like get used to your own company again and uh yeah so now all that's kind of managed to kind of settle down i can kind of go back to recording i managed to get an episode of 24 frames cast out a couple of weeks ago and there's gonna be another one quite soon so and you know can kind of start doing more of these episodes again so yeah all around it's uh been been a bit of a pain in the ass but we're through <laughs> the other side now so onwards and upwards definitely yes yes um a couple of uh, rumors and possibilities in the master cinema lately has been the cabinet of dr caligari um master cinema they've been quite active on their twitter account saying that this new restoration that premiered at berlin this year is it looks stunning and uh, they've recommended it for its uh, soundtrack as well so i'm really hoping that this one will be uh, a release that will be covered in the master cinema possibly the spine number 100 perhaps yeah i mean i, I... I saw this film at university and um, it's one of those ones really that you kind of, I guess when you do study film, everyone kind of talks about it. I mean, I'm, mm. I absolutely love this film. Um, 
if they have yeah, I have I haven't seen this restoration that's going around. But um I've, you know, from all accounts I have I know, I know people I know people who have seen it and have been completely blown away by it. So if you're one of those ones, yeah, I, I think it's a dead cert and I can't wait really for this one to hit. It's one of those that they they use it as an example for the German expressionism and everything that typifies that sort of cinema you can find in Dr. Caligari, basically. So it's it's a remarkable film and just a, a film that is important, so important in film history in and of itself. But yeah, no, no, no certainly. I mean, I can you know completely agree with everything you've just said. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's one of those, they say it's one of those textbook films. You know, it, it's, mm. it, and it, it, the influence of it, I think you can you can see. It in, I mean, Tim Burton must watch it every time he makes <laughs> a film. I'm pretty certain of that. Yeah, and it, it's one of those films that um, it sort of made the German Expressionism what it is today because most people when they talk about German Expressionism they talk about what this film is uh, but perhaps many of the other films that are kind of pushed into this German Expressionism genre they, they're not necessarily as um, as um, sort of uh, explicit as Caligari is. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's... It's the kind of the benchmark, isn't it? I think that, that kind of set, and it's. I mean, I, I remember I, a friend of mine watched it quite recently for the first time, and was like, absolutely hated it, and was like, saying, and I think the problem was, I think it's so kind of out there that I, I didn't think they, I, I don't think they thought it was going to be as kind of crazy as it was, and mm. when they watched it, were kind of saying, oh, it's you, know, it kind of it's distracting, kind of the artifice of it, and I was that's sort of well, that's sort of the point. I think it's, you know, it's <laughs> meant to visually be you know, pretty bonkers and out there and um yeah i mean like i said i i cannot wait for this one and um i certainly do hope they put it out mm. uh, another film that uh i really hope will get into the master of cinema i haven't seen it but uh, i know it's visual uh, to say the least uh, and it's such a grand epic it's uh, abel gans's napoleon the 1927 film and it's being restored by robert harris who did the lawrence of arabia restoration so you know that that is a benchmark for just pure quality restoration. Isn't there something? Was hasn't it been restored? And yes, uh, two thousand and twelve. I think it was finished. And no, but as I understand, wasn't there some controversy with it? Some guy I, I can't remember who it was now, but there was I, someone owned the rights to it or something like that, and it's been kind of. Am I thinking about the, the same film? Hang on a minute. Yeah, Kevin Brownlow. That was it. Okay. Um, res, uh, resurrected the film, I'm sure, and then he went back and. Um, he purchased um, some of the reels off it, and mm. I think there was some sort of uh, falling out he had with someone. And yeah, there is there was some that was it. Yeah, there was there's a legal argument. I think with Francis Ford Coppola and the British Film Institute and Kevin Brownlow. I can I'll, I'll find an I'll find a link to the article, but basically it was restored, and I think it was um, suppressed um, by Kevin Brownlow and Carl Davis, who scored um, the World at War and some other British TV series. He did a uh, re-recorded some music for it and uh yeah as i understand there's there's a reason it hasn't been released on um blu-ray uh, this okay. Brett, this kevin brown no restoration and uh i'll find the article but yeah i know there's been a bit of a you know, has been a bit of a nightmare kind of mm. surrounding it but hopefully this kind of new one um will kind of get released with kind of less arsing around the the brown low is that the one that was released in november or october last year um, I'm not sure to be. I think this, I think this restoration. I think he actually did it in the in the eighties. I think it was okay. quite some time ago. Kevin Brownland's a pretty fascinating guy, actually. Um, he's a, a kind of a film historian and a filmmaker, 
and um, he's, he's really worth it. He wrote a brilliant biography of David Lean and um, a, a, a um, what was the film he did? It was like a war. It was like an alternative history film in which um, that was it. it. Happened here. It's called, and it kind of takes the the, uh, the concept of the Germans winning World War Two, and it's kind of filmed in this kind of documentary style. He made it for about two thousand pounds over about ten years, and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, well worth checking out. And BFI actually put out um, another film of his called Winstanley. And yeah, he's a pretty fascinating guy and well worth checking out. Mm. Sounds like he's akin uh, to. Um... What's the guy that did Peter Watkins? Yeah, kind of that kind of style. He hasn't made many films, to be fair to him. Um, but the ones I have seen, yeah, have been very impressive. He did a brilliant um, documentary as well about D.W. Griffith, which I've got, and uh, that's quite impressive. But uh, yeah, his David Lean biography is the best one I've ever read. I mean, it's an absolute doorstep-sized novel. And uh, when I was kind of going through a mad David Lean stage. Kind of when I was about eighteen, I think it was. I, I used to reread that book kind of over and over again. You can pick it up on Amazon as well for about five quid. I think it's well worth reading. So you were supposed to join us for the 2013 wrap-up show with James and Craig, but you were unavailable due to uh, other circumstances. But is there any film that you would love to get a Blu-ray upgrade in the, their catalogue? Yeah, um, I would have to go. I, 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 I really want to see Showa on Blu-ray because I know it's come out on um, Criterion on Blu-ray and apparently the restoration was pretty impressive for that. And I'd like to... I, I don't really want to buy the Criterion one play, only because I've already got Showa, obviously, on the Master Cinema, but I, I, don't, I don't really fancy it. It's quite expensive and I don't really kind of want to fork out for it again if Master Cinema are going to put it out. And I think the other film I'd really like to see as well, Rocco and his brothers as well. Would like, I'd like to see that come out. F for Fake as well. That's I know we're going to talk about that one quite soon, but... Um, I, that's an, that's another one I'd love to kind of see that one upgrade and perhaps some more extra features because that's a fascinating film. Mm. Another film that I, I'm looking at in the their catalogue is Edward Monk, the film, and that is one that I they could really do much more of with uh, special features and an upgraded picture quality on that one. Yeah, I mean, well, well the one actually, one of the one one of my favourite masters of cinema um, releases um, is now can't find it. And also, when you're looking at uh, the Iron Horse, the John Ford film, I, I wish that would have gotten a Blu-ray release when yeah. they released it. Well, the thing about the Iron Horse is, that, from what I understand, it, it, it just wasn't worth doing because of the, the mm. kind of the quality thing. But I mean, I, I, I yeah, I love the Iron Horse. That's another one which uh, I saw that at uni and was just completely blown away by it. And I, I really, I've got about three different versions of that film, and the Master Cinema one is definitely. The, uh, the the best one that I've ever seen. Now, the film I was actually going to talk about one of ones one of my favourite films in the collection is A Time to Love and A Time to Die, and mm. that did get a brilliant um, Blu-ray upgrade last year, and I was completely blown away. And I I can't wait to talk about that film because it really is ridiculously impressive, and uh, mm. that was my kind of yeah. I, I went I, I was a little bit sceptical as to how good that kind of you know what, what how good the uh, the upgrade would be and when I got it I was absolutely blown away by it and uh, yeah I def- cannot wait to talk about that film yeah one of the biggest surprises for me in the, the uh, wrap up show that we did last year uh, was that film just yeah. blown, blown away by the complexity in it yeah, yeah. yeah and I mean, it's, I mean it's it's strange because you don't often, I mean most war films are kind of written from the side of the victors mm. you know you, you don't you very rarely get a film about you know, the German experience during the war you know it's something which i think we just assume that they were all evil and you know the good guys won and of course you know, it wasn't you know, it wasn't the case you know it was you know there were, these were real people who were kind of suffering terribly 
and uh, I think a time to love and a time to love really kind of gets you know gets into that and you, you kind of see the kind of you know this kind of society collapsing and kind of falling apart and you know kind of innocent people kind of suffering and yeah absolutely an amazing film Mm. Um, I know last year, uh, Criterion Collection, they released um, the dance film. What was it called? Pina. Uh, Pina, yeah, yes. in, in 3D. And do you think there's a possibility that Master of Cinema will head into 3D territory? I think they'd have to be very careful about what they release. I mean, the, the thing at the moment is with 3D. I mean, I have... I have I have taken to it now. I, I think I, I won't go and watch films that have been up converted into 3D. I don't necessarily see the point. But if it's been shot natively in 3D, I will go and watch it. And I brought a 3D TV, and yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I do, and, and I, know a lot, I know it's a kind of a contentious issue for some people. It, it seems one of these things that people seem to kind of go to great lengths to say how offended they are by 3D and how awful it is. And you know, it's a load of bollocks because you have so many options when a film comes out. I mean, The Hobbit, for example, you could watch it in normal, you know, normal 2D, 3D, high definition 3D. You know, there's so many options to watch mm. it. You know, just go and watch what one you want. And I think the problem is at the moment, the quality of the films, I don't think is is there whereby I, I think Master of Cinema, because I can't see them going for like a mainstream Hollywood film and releasing it on 3D. I don't think they'd get the rights either. So then you have to kind of look, you know, into the kind of the history of 3D and you know, films from the 50s and 60s. And quite frankly, I mean, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon I watched the other day in Universal. <laughs> that is a terrible, terrible film. I mean, I know it's Universal monsters and we have to kind of all kind of, you know, go kind of geek crazy over them. But I was sat there watching this film is crap. And a lot of those those films are pretty bad. And I think the 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 re- I mean, I I picked up that that 3D edition of Peanut, and I mean, I, I loved it on the especially how the 3D... I've, I didn't see it in 3D when I bought it, and I've since gone back to it. It was on Sky Arts the other day, and it was in 3D, and I watched it. It's absolutely amazing what Wim Wenders does with 3D in that film. And I think it'd take a... They'd di- have to go with a director, someone like that to do it, you know, someone like a Herzog or something, but I think they'd have to be very selective on the film, and I, I can see it being an issue trying to kind of, you know, get, get the rights to it. And I think it... I, in time, perhaps they will, but I, I don't think we're going to see a 3D release for quite some time for Masters of Cinema. Mm. And how do you feel about 3D going for that in non-event movies, sort of the normal drama? It's like like a certified copy, for example, in 3D. Yeah, again, do I need to see certified copy in 3D? No. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's something like, um, that, that. that is the thing, I think, with 3D at the moment. It's Life of Pi, for example, it, mm. yeah, that's it, it works brilliantly in that. But if it's just a normal, you know, film, and by normal I mean, you know, I don't like before midnight or something like that. You know, we don't need to see that in three D. It's not going to add anything to it, really. You know, other than obviously a bit of depth to the image. And I, I, I think that the problem is, I think directors, a lot of directors, are probably very keen on three D. It's just kind of finding the right, you know, what sort, what sort, you know, what materials is best served by it, and. Mm. You know, we kind of saw with Avatar, that's the, how it works. You know, we have this kind of fantastic creation of Pandora. And, you know, 3D works well in that film because it's part of this kind of experience of kind of putting you in there. But for every kind of day dramas, you know, you don't need to see a kitchen in 3D, do you? It doesn't mean anything. And that's the other thing about 3D as well. I, I found, yeah, the only film I think that I've actually watched where I thought this film has to be seen in 3D was Gravity. And I thought it, it, it actually adds to the, the character, 
you know, what it's trying to do, that kind of sense of isolation. When you see the earth and space and three dimensions and just these kind of, you know, characters kind of bumbling around in it, it, it does, one of the things I liked about gravity was it made space scary again. And on the basis of as a kind of, you know, as a hostile element to be in. And I think the 3D served that. It actually had a purpose in it in that it was about telling you, well, the filmmakers were telling you this place is a horrible place to be. It's not, you know, it's very glamorous, you know, and it's a, it's amazing, but it's also fundamentally trying to kill you. <laughs> There's nothing. Mm. And it worked perfectly in that context. But just to kind of arbitrarily film something in 3D, I, I think that's where it gets slightly more contentious because I just don't know what you're doing for it. I mean, currently in my job, someone was kind of talking about, um, we've just had Manchester Library uh, renovated and it's it's ridiculously impressive building anyway and they've done an incredible job on it. And we're kind of thinking about ways in which we can kind of make media to kind of sell it and it's kind of all these interactive elements. And someone was talking about, um, you know, a 3D tour of the, of the library that you could watch. And certainly, you know, it's one of those buildings where it has... You know, the architecture has massive domes and stuff, and you could use 3D to kind of impress. But in that context, I, I, you know, I can see a need for actually having to do it. But like I said, if it's just a, you know, a normal kind of very kind of standard drama, you know, as you say, a certified copy, I, I, I don't see what it's going to bring to the table. I don't know, because uh, something like Certified Copy or La Noce, where the, the environment and the architecture and the buildings, they, they inform so much to the picture that I think that, Perhaps something like that could bring an element of environment and um, it, it could be uh, used in a way to sort of underline the underline the uh, the notion of isolation and the notion of uh, mysteriousness and uh, just to envelop us in the city and envelop us in the architecture and just the uh, the history of the city uh, that more that much more yeah uh, I mean uh, yeah, yeah. A, great, a great example is, I mean, I was watching The Great Beauty the other day, which, by the way, I think we, I think you've seen it, haven't yeah. you? Um, I loved it. I, if I had seen it last year, it would have made my top 10, possibly. Mm. It, you know, it probably would have got in my top three, I would have thought. It was just a, an outstanding film in so many regards. But that felt like it was 3D in many respects mm. because, the, the, you know, there was so much layering in the image and that brilliant bit where he's um, randomly kind of walks into a guy making an elephant disappear. <laughs> And, it, and it, it, it's just, you know, it, it's one of those kind of, it was such a joyous film. I absolutely loved it. And I, I was sat there thinking, oh, yeah, this might, this might work in 3D. But then I sort of, as I was kind of watching it, because the image was so, the image quality was so good. Mm. And it was, and I thought it, it felt like it was 3D anyway. And, you know, I, I guess, I suppose seeing the Colosseum at dawn in 3D would be impressive. But I don't necessarily think it's, you know, it, 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 the film wasn't any better or worse mm. for it not being in 3D, you know, and um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, but with the great beauty, oh, I'm <laughs> in awe of that film so mm. much. It was just, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, okay, so I've seen that on Mubi, the streaming site, they are streaming various massive cinema films. And with Mubi, you, can, you pay like uh, £3 a month yeah. And every day, a new film is available for the next 30 days. And every now and then, a massive cinema film pops up. So uh, if you haven't tried that one and you want to try out, just look at what's available. You can you can head on over to Mubi and uh, maybe you find a gem or two there. Yeah, I mean, just, just a, a slight tangent here, mm. talking about, I mean, the amount, I, I was thinking this the other day, I have a love film account where I get, 
movies through the post still. I still like to watch Blu-rays, you know. I kind of use that for kind of watch your sort of things that I kind of think, oh, I might not really want to buy this necessarily. But, I'll, you know, so I have my love film. Love Film used to has an, a streaming service which is now purchased through Amazon, and if you're an Amazon Prime member, you automatically get your, your streaming. And it used to be pretty crap, but their new streaming service is absolutely brilliant. Um, totally recommend it if you live in Britain. Essentially, you pay seventy pounds a year. I order loads of stuff off Amazon anyway, and you get guaranteed next day delivery. But you also get all these pr- brilliant films and TV shows, and they've really kind of sorted the streams out now. So there's five point one surround sound. They're HD quality fantastic selection of films and tv i've also got a netflix account which is six pounds a month mm. so i've got all the films on that and i've also got the full sky package so basically i have all the movie channels and i sat there the other day and i thought i have so many different ways of watching films now <laughs> it is absolutely ridiculous and i was thinking about movie i thought it's only three pounds a month you know you might as well do it and i thought i just can't justify another movie streaming service mm. and i mean what's the quality like on movie is it any good um i've only tried the trial version and that was a couple of years ago but uh, so uh, the hd wasn't quite as prolific as it is now but uh, it worked quite well uh, it was like dvd quality uh, right. yeah so uh, it looks quite good but I, I i can't speak to what it is now yeah, I mean, because that's the thing about streaming. It's taken some time to get there. But I mean, I, I, when my internet finally did get installed, uh, this is just a minor tangent and a slight rant. Um, it took me six weeks to have my internet. And I know kids are dying in Syria. And I know there are some terrible, terrible things currently going on in this world. And my not having the internet for six weeks is completely you know, irrelevant, really, to the grand scheme of things. But trust me, try living without the internet for that period of time and having to tether off your phone Mm. um it's not only is it expensive it is beyond frustrating and when i eventually got my be my internet installed i can't even moan i I can only moan now that i can't moan because it's so good and the the amount of kind of stuff i've got kind of coming into the house kind of film wise obviously you've got the sky there is so much now i think out there for if you if you love films to kind of jump on board with things like movie you know as i said you know amazon prime and netflix the the world is your kind of oyster really and i still think there is room for a really a a kind of a niche streaming service that kind of like hulu or something like that you know to have in europe which does kind of go for more kind of art house titles because you know netflix is good don't get me wrong and i know artificial i put a lot of their films on it and you can get films like laurie and kind of what richard did and a you know, the brilliant documentary um, Beware of Mr. Baker and films like that but I, I still think there's there's room for a really quality niche art house streaming service and I, I really kind of I hope someone kind of jumps on it Mubi yeah you know I, I kind of like the concept that you get this 30 days thing but I would like to see something more you know a bit more kind of catering for a more kind of you know discerning taste really yeah the thing about the 30 days thing is that you feel like you're such so limited in your options. So on on the one hand, it's kind of a good thing because you don't have to think as much about what am I going to watch now. But on the other hand, you feel like you're being restrained. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing about movie. It's it's a great idea, and and I know some you know, some people work, but am I am I going to watch it? I I don't know. I I can't see it being something that I mean I, I like like I said the kind of the format I have at the moment of all these kind of streamers. I just pick what I want and watch it when I want. With movie, if I'm on sort of a you know a deadline, I, you know. I, I, good in theory, but I, I can't see myself signing up for it anytime soon. So uh, let's move on to the second quarter announcements from Master of Cinema. Um, in April, 
28th of April, we get a dual format release of the Bill O'Wilder film Ace in the Hole. Yes. Have, um, you, have you seen this one? I, I have I seen Ace. Yeah. yeah, I've seen Ace in the Hole. I've got the, the Criterion DVD of it. So, And I, oddly enough, actually, I was going to watch it the other day. It is on Sky um, Classics actually the other day, and it was the, the, an, an, a HD kind of upgrade of it. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to watch it. And um, I taped it, which I, I uh, this is another quick, quick tangent as well. I, I don't, I, we need to think of another word for taping because it's not taping <laughs> anymore. Someone said to me the other day that they hard drived it, and I thought it sounded vaguely pornographic. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having, I'm not having that. So recorded, but I, it's always going to be taping to me anyway. But I taped it anyway, so it was on my hard drive. And then, I, then I, I saw that Master Cinema were going to put it out, so I actually kind of, I thought, you know what, I think I'll wait and uh, for this restoration, I think, and watch it then. But it's a great film, Ace in the Hole. I absolutely mm. love it. I remember Autocast, they did a Wilder retrospective, uh, I think a year ago or something. And I went on this Wilder retrospective along with them. And uh, I just loved watching how Wilder grew as a filmmaker and from uh, discovered some of his early films like Five Grace of Cairo, which is such a great film. And then moving on to these more hard-nosed like journalist pieces that he did, um, more investigating films and uh, Ace in the Hole is definitely one that stands out, even in his even in his uh, successful career. Billy Wilder films. I mean, I how can you not love them? Apart, mm. apart from uh, and I, you know, Sabrina. I don't know. <laughs> no, what's the one that? Uh, no, that my least favorite Billy Wilder film, and what I consider to be one of the most unfunniest films ever made is Some Like It Hot. What? And I know. I know. I can't. I've seen. I, I just don't. I cannot ever get into that film. And the apartment is is now that I'm a newly found singleton who <laughs> eats on his own every night. Um, the apartment will. Always, it just gets better every time yeah. I see it. But some <laughs> like it hot. Um, yeah, I, I really. I cannot get into that film at well, all. Seven Year Itch is a much worse film than Some oh, Like It Hot. I've not seen it. So okay. I mean, but Star Like Seventeen, great oh, that's film. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah everyone loves. It. How can you not love Sunset Boulevard and? Uh, mm. No, he's a yeah, he's a great filmmaker, Billy Wilder, and uh, it's a, yeah. Someone, someone, someone the other day told me that the, the, the new the, the only person they could think of who was like Billy Wilder was Judd Apatow, and I I kind of mm. had to correct them quite quickly and say mm. I I think you need to kind of probably revise that statement, yeah. kind of have a think about it because Judd Apatow, as much as I like Judd Apatow films, they are my kind of guilty pleasures. He is no Billy Wilder. Mm. Um, on the release, they are getting an up an hour-long documentary on Billy Wilder called Portrait of a 60% Perfect Man, uh, and also a video interview with the film scholar Neil Sinyard, which lasts about 30 minutes, I think. Right. And uh, there's also a 32-page book, so quite a decent package. Yeah, and, and uh, hmm? no, I always, I mean, that's the other thing about kind of... Um, uh, Master Cinema releases that should, I always kind of try when I get people it's that booklet as well you know it's a package it is you know it's there's, there's, there's plenty there to tuck into I know people who buy them say, oh, I, don't, I don't read the booklets and I'm always like no read the booklet you know it's part <laughs> of the I sometimes like to read them before I actually watch the film as well sometimes but mm. no definitely you know kind of get get in there and, and you know if they're going to 30 page booklet on that film I think it would be great so a film that was supposed to be released in um, in April but was pushed uh, i think it was if yeah, yeah if was pushed back to may 19th because they needed to work on the special features i think they tweeted out but um this is a film that uh, i watched through the criterion collection and just a seminal film and 
Uh, I think you can speak about how important this film is to UK film history. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of go on a slight tangent again here, but if I think there is a, the British public school system is a constant case of fa- it's a fascinating area for me anyway. Mm. I, I it's it's the most balmiest thing ever. I mean, it's full of kind of like weird clubs and all kinds of nonsense go on in them and these are the people that normally end up running our country for example at the moment the the bullington boys as they're known as uh essentially there's pictures of david cameron and co drinking cigars and quaffing champagne at their public school <laughs> and, you know, this is, it's an institution almost and i think if it's one of the few films that it's almost crazy when you think about it, you know, having kind of this kind of war breaking out in school. But if it did happen at a public school in the 50s, 60s, you wouldn't be that surprised because they are such bonkers institutions with the kind of the, the kind of creme de la creme of mad English people going to them. That this film, I think, is, is, it perfectly captures that, that kind of craziness and that kind of nastiness that goes on in these institutions. And I mean, it, it, when it, I remember. I mean, yeah, well, we, I studied it at university, and it kind of caused absolute outrage when it came out, um, and you know, really kind of people were aghast at it, really, as to how kind of you know violent it was. And Ma- Malcolm McDowell just looks like he's absolutely fucking mad, anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, you, you can't not, you can't look at him not think of Clockwork Orange. I mean, obviously, I know this kind of predates that, and I think. Uh, I'm convinced that it must have been if that got him cast in the Clockwork Orange, mm. because you can kind of see that kind of craziness behind him. But yeah, and this is it, it's you know one of the the I think it's one of the greatest British films ever made. Um, I also think it's one of the best films ever made. You know, I think it's that it is that good. And um, I haven't seen it in a long time uh, actually, and I'm kind of I'm really looking forward to kind of revisiting it on Blu-ray because it's one of my favourite films as well. Actually, if I think it's. Um, yeah, it had a profound impact on me. I think mm-hmm. when I when I watched it, it just it's one of those crazy films that kind of stays with you for a very long time. I haven't picked up the the Criterion Blu-ray, um, so you know, I, I, yeah, I can't I, I can't wait to to go back into this. If they get any of the uh, extras that was on the Criterion collection, it would be great because such an interesting film to discuss and listening to like um, Lindsay Anderson and Malcolm McDowell and all these talk about the film and just the adventures they went on and all the all the discussions they had about the film it's uh, it's a really interesting film he has a really interesting history as a filmmaker Lindsay Anderson with also this sporting life I think is one that is constantly uh, held yeah. up as one of the scapists yeah I mean this sporting life is a fantastic film mm-hmm. um, and yeah he's, he's yeah, one of the stalwarts of um, you know, British cinema, and it's good that you know. I, I don't think he kind of gets. He's not got a massive filmography, no. um, but it's it's an interesting one. Mm. And um, yeah, uh, look back in anger is another great film which uh, I particularly enjoy of him. So yeah, definitely can't wait for that one. Um, the only thing that they have confirmed so far is the thirty-six page booklet. But I was looking through all the releases. Um, for the second quarter now, and it seems that I think four out of the films have a only thirty-six page booklet confirmed, and I think that 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 page number is sort of a that's something that they put in there temporarily to uh, right. just afterwards. It seems a very very weird that all of them should have a thirty-six page booklet. Yes, yeah, so, I mean it might just be yeah, so, yeah, the standard kind of press release material. Mm-hmm. Um, the other 
release that will be uh, coming in May is the Nashville film, Robert Altman, uh, dual format release. Uh, this is one that I haven't seen, but it's um, kind of a prelude to Shortcuts, as I understand. I've not seen Nashville either. Okay. And I, I, again, it's one of those films that I, I, I don't know what, why I haven't watched it. Um, I, it's strange with Robert Altman because... I do enjoy his films, but I mean, I, I went back and watched Mash again quite recently, and I really did not like that no. at all. It's I thought it was pretty rubbish actually. I love the TV series. How can you not? But hmm. um, I didn't enjoy that film at all. And uh, I've taped um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller because an HD restoration of it went, out, went just put out on Sky. So yeah, he's, he's I've seen a lot of Altman films, but I, I can't say I'm you know a massive you know kind of follower of his. Um, I'm, I have a pile of uh, films that you know, I kind of sat by my TV at the moment, which I need to watch. And I know there's some Altman in there, so um, yeah, I, I do enjoy it. But I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to Nashville. Um, I know Criterion have just put it out. Um, I haven't picked it up yet. So, Mash uh, is one that I was uh, really put off by. Uh, yeah, like you said, I, I, I didn't think it was any good at all. Uh, just the filmmaking itself and the performances, I couldn't really get into the film at all. But um, I, 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 just, I think the, the, the thing about Mash is it's just not at all funny. No. And I, it's like, like, you know, like none of it made me laugh. Like I said, like, I think because I grew up with the TV series, you know, it was a, a staple in my household and yeah, it was brilliant and I, you know, I loved it, but. Watching the film, I was just like, this is just not making, this isn't doing anything for me. And I think we've discussed it before, but I'm not a huge fan of comedies. Mm. Um, I don't know what that says about me. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, Not much makes me laugh other than you know, kind of my friends and kind of stupid things. Films, I tend not, you know, I, 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 I find it very struggle. I struggle to kind of get into comedies. And with MASH, I was just like sat there thinking, this is painfully unfunny. Uh, yeah, and I know it's meant to be satirical and that kind of thing, but I, I wonder, you know, why did people at the time find it funny? Mm. That's that's the other one. Um, Charlie Chaplin films as well. <laughs> did, I mean, what? what I, I just don't get what the I don't get the humour. You know, I, I don't find I don't I don't understand why people find them that funny. I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps perhaps it was just so shit all those years ago. Uh, <laughs> anything 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 was uh, kind of deemed funny, but no. Um, looking through Altman's filmography here, I can see that I think uh, the ones that stand out for me is like Gosford Park, The Player, Shortcuts, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I watched The, the and Player. And The Long Goodbye as well. Yeah, yeah the, well, The Long Goodbye, actually. I do like that film, but God, it's just a film full of muttering. Mm. There doesn't seem to be a complete sentence in it. It's just... <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's a great film. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I do. I really enjoy it. But um, yeah, because I've gone back to that quite recently. I think this is the Blu-ray actually. I think yeah. it's just come out. And uh, I was tempted to pick it up when I was just watching. I think God, can, does anyone speak properly in this film? You know what I mean? It's like, come on, get a sentence out. <laughs> I, th- I was kind of reminded of um, like Point Blank in certain yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, that definitely, film so. definitely has that vibe. And yeah, that's a film I'd love to go out and master soon. Yeah. Oh god, I love. I yeah. Well, I did an episode dedicated to it. Um, I, I actually went. I went, I went to um, to see. Uh, I went to see it at the cinema last year. They put mm. a, a restoration on at the corner house in Manchester, and um, just that scene when he's walking, and seeing it on the big screen it's terrifying watching Lee Marvin just walk like that, you know, and especially that. It, yeah. It's just, it's just so disconcerting and it's, it's an, it's, it's an incredible film. Yeah. I, think. 
Okay, so another incredible film that we are getting is the Eddie Murphy film, Boomerang. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> that sounds like a comedy. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, Elia Kazan's Boomerang from 1947. Uh, I'd never heard of this one before they announced it. Not seen it, but I'm, I love Elia Kazan films. And I, I, I is discuss- it Elia or Laya or how do you pronounce it? Elia? I, I, I can't pronounce names uh, for shit, so I just... <laughs> Elia Kazan, so yeah, I don't know. Um, but I mean, I... I um, I spoke about this when I, I I talked about on the waterfront. I'm so bored of this kind of fake outrage that still goes on at Kazan. Mm. You know, people like you know. I I mean, I know what, what he did was pretty bad, but it's, people seem to get so passionate about it and so kind of you know outraged by it to this day, and it, it sort of annoys me a little bit sometimes because I think it's sort of you know just because he did something pretty reprehensible you can still enjoy the film yeah, yeah. you can still kind of see it on the waterfront it's still a masterpiece yeah. um it's it's the same with Polanski as well so yeah yeah it, yeah it's yeah it's a it's, it's a really tough one this and I was having this debate the other day this is another tangent but we can use the tangent yeah someone at work said I'm never going to watch another Woody Allen film again and I said, oh, right, and why is that? And it was because of, you know, the, the Farrow, the, the daughter putting out that press release about how, you know, he allegedly abused her. Yeah. And I said, oh, right. I said, you know, do you know everything about the case? And, and they were like, well, no, not really. And I said, well, look, you know, look at the evidence of the case. And I, I don't think it's as clear cut as everyone seems to think it is. I, you know, I, I personally don't think Woody Anderson paedophile. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. And... I said, you know, just because these allegations, yeah, yeah, they're, you know, they're awful, but there is a, there has been child abuse, and it's the daughter. I think something very, very dysfunctional about that family. I don't see how someone can just arbitrarily say, "Oh no, he's definitely a paedophile." I'm not watching any of his films again. I think it's a, a ridiculous position to take because I just, it's, you know, he has not been convicted for anything. You know, that's you know, he's you know, he's an innocent man in in the eyes of the law, and I think you know, just to sort of arbitrarily write someone off like that and their work I, I think it's wrong i mean we had it with ender's game didn't we you know yeah. because the author's made some you know homophobic comments i've actually just rented ender's game from the film and i'm gonna i might watch it later um you know i'm a bleeding heart liberal i'm all for you know uh you know, gay rights and all that kind of thing. I, I don't feel like some sort of like a kind of traitor for watching Ender's Game. I want to watch it because I quite like science fiction and you know, and I like Harrison Ford. Hmm. That's why I'm going to watch Ender's Game. I don't think you kind of. It's not. It's, it's not like I'm kind of by watching that film endorsing what the person who wrote the book. I, I don't. You know, I'm not endorsing their views. I don't. I, I don't agree with them. Hmm. People are free to air their views. You know, just because you. you I, I don't think. I, I think people need to kind of get over this type of kind of reaction to these types of things. And it's not like in Andy's game, for example, it, there's not, there's no evidence in the work itself, nor in the book, nor in the film that this is like a propaganda piece or something. It's yeah, it's exactly. a story. It, it has yeah. nothing to do with his views. You can't you can't read that and see that this is a homophobic author. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I mean, I I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the book, The Forever War. No, um, it's well, it's one of the best science fiction books. Ever. Ridley Scott keeps threatening to make it i really wish he would and um part of that is is sort of like society kind of evolves so it's kind of like monogamous really and people kind of have like you know homosexual relationships and i was reading somewhere about this film with action they were kind of like oh it's, it's a piece of gay propaganda 
and I was and I thought, God, you know, and it, there was a sort of debate going on if the film, if if it was made into a film, that element would be taken out of the book, and to me that would destroy it. Really, mm. it, you know, it needs to be in there, and it, it, it's all kind of clamouring and it's outcry, and, and I just sort of like it's just such a thorny subject for so many people. And, you know, especially when you kind of look at things like kind of like, I mean, I mean, there the debates going on on Facebook um, about Ender's Game and people were like, no, I'm not watching it, I'm not watching it. And I was just sort of like, come on, you know, like like you said, it's not like, you know, it's a film about, you know, straight people killing gays, is it? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, it, it simply isn't. And, I, you know, it's just because you don't agree with what the, the author has said. I, I think, I, yeah, I think we need to kind of get over this type of thing. And, you know, going back to Eli Kazan, you know, it still can't take away the fact he's made masterpieces. And I think by sort of doing this kind of abstention, I think you're just going to be missing out on some quality cinema. And it's like, you know, like Woody Allen, you know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm, I will watch Manhattan and Annie Hall to the day I die. You know, it's like, I'm not, and like I said, if he gets, that he's, he's, you know, He's an innocent man, you know, yeah. in the eyes of the law. So, I, I, you know, it's a very strange kind of debate. And I think people kind of get their knickers in and not over it, I think, a lot of the time. And it, to me, it's just kind of noise, really. I wonder what these people think of a film like Lolita or a book or the book Lolita. Uh, mm. Like, w- would that uh, offend them if they were reading that or uh, watching that? Yeah. And, and I mean, this is the other thing. I mean, people listen to the Rolling Stones. Right, brown sugar isn't about sugar. Brown sugar's <laughs> about heroin. Do you know what I mean? It's not, you know, Keith Richards and those guys, you know, and, you know, the kind of the sex and drugs. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you know, some of the stories you hear about, you know, kind of bands like Led Zeppelin and, you know, groupies and sex and, you know, God knows what, and this kind of debauched sort of lives they live. Mm. People tend to just ignore that, don't they? And it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's rock and roll. Well, you know, I, I, I'm pretty certain, you know, in the, there was probably a lot of underage sex going on on those tour buses, you know. I mean, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's pretty, you know, sticky needles in arms and so you know. It's, it's just, but people don't seem to get that bothered by that kind of thing. I, I don't give a shit, you know, you know, whatever, you know. But um, yeah, it's very, very weird. I think. It kind of it, it annoys me actually, to be brutally honest with you. These types of things. In June, we get another dysfunctional relationship uh, with Harold and Maud, the Hal Ashby film. Yes, uh, I watched this one. This today, I watched it uh, earlier oh, right. this morning, and uh, you can totally see where Wes Anderson got his, uh, his yeah. style. Even though yeah. I think Wes Anderson takes it a different road, but uh, this is one that um, I really enjoyed. Just the the atmosphere and the mood and yeah. the comedy and yeah, and just the heart warmth, uh, just heartfelt cinema. Yeah, really enjoyed. It. Yeah, I love Howard and Maud. It's a, you know, uh, when I watched it, I was like, oh, so this is where this is where Rushmore comes from. Mm. You know, I, I've I've parted company with Wes Anderson now. I've, I I haven't seen the Grand Budapest Hotel, but I think I, it, it's it's like it's, it's like hipster cinema, isn't it? I think Wes mm. Anderson, yeah. hipster twee kind of. I was listening to Brett Easton Ellis podcast today actually, he's talking about kind of this new kind of it's, it's like an offshoot of hipsterism called tweeism or something I was just like, do you know what and I was just like just fuck off <laughs> I, I, I can't take it anymore but no yeah I mean when I watched Harold Reward I was just sat there going Wes Anderson Wes Anderson you know it, that's, that's that's the blueprint and um, yeah. it's such a bonkers film um, I don't think you'd probably get away with making something like that now I think people would be a little bit uh, I, 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 it, it could only be made in the time it was made if that mm. makes any sense it's very much it's the product of its time and that kind of cinema movement mm, definitely 
So the the last film that was announced was the John Cassavetes film, The Too Late Blues. And I know that Criterion Collection, they just uh, released uh, a Blu-ray upgrade of uh, the box set that they had. But this is not one of those. And from what I read on their homepage, they call it one of his impersonal studio projects. And kind of a detour between his more personal works. Because he, he had quite success with Shadows in '59. And then that gave him a chance to work within the studio system. But after he did a couple of studio films, including this one, he went back to doing more personal, gritty work and came out with faces. And the rest is kind of history. And what we combine, what we know as Casavetti's film is what came with faces and after that one. So, But I don't have any relation to this film, so it will be interesting looking at what Casavetti's does within the studio system. Yeah, I've not seen it, so um, uh, yeah, I'd be quite interested to kind of pick that one up. I, I do like John Cassavetti's films. I, 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 I got all the kind of the, you know, shadows and all that a lot. I, I, I picked up the BFI Blu-rays of those quite recently, actually, and mm. uh, yeah, they were really good, actually. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Mm. Uh, there's no supplements that have been confirmed for neither Harold and Maud nor Too Late Blues, but uh, we will get a booklet uh, on both of those. Um, so. The only missing spine number that we have now is the number 78 spine number between Wings and Serpico. So I don't know if, I don't think there's anything that uh, joins those two films together. So uh, it's up for grabs, basically, what number 78 can be. Yeah, I was subject. Did you, have you seen Wings before? I have not. No. Um, amazing film. I, I was so glad when this one came out. Um, I just implore people to watch this. It's just um, just such a ridiculously entertaining film. That um, yeah, absolutely loved it. I, I think it was the first film to win Best Picture at the Oscars. I yes, think it has that accolade. And uh, yeah, this new restoration is incredible. Um, I think that one and Sunrise were the ones that were competing that year. Or well, they both won each their own like, right, right. best film or best achievement or something. Yeah. Oh uh, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's. it's just a, yeah, just an absolutely ridiculously entertaining, good fun film. And uh, I've when when I um, finish my uh, cinema in the on the in my loft, I'm going to uh, get that one projected because it really is. It's a really it's a really cinematic film. You know, it has to. I think it really needs to be seen on a big screen, and it's just a big epic fun film to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the economy is kind of strapped now for me, so I haven't picked up anything since uh, Christmas. I think. So I'm looking forward to like getting up on top and yeah, yeah. diving into these new ones. Um, do we have anything else? I don't think so. Just a slight one. It's mm-hmm. not quite come out on Master Cinema. It's been released by Eureka and it's a, a Charlton Heston film called Warlord. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's sort of weird. I think they could have released it as like a classic or something, Eureka Classics or something. Yeah, is like that, that a new line that they're doing? I don't know. But, I mean, I, 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 I couldn't see why it wasn't in Master Cinema because it's a great film. Mm-hmm. Um Directed by Frank J. Sheffner. I mean, I'm, he's one of my favourite directors anyway. And um, it's one of those epics that it, it, it kind of doesn't really um, get much attention, I suppose. But you can pick it up now. It's only £10.25 on Amazon. It's actually released tomorrow by the looks of things. So I might put an order down on that because, um, yeah, ridiculously good fun film. Mm. Um, and as I understand, I went on DVD Beaver the other day, actually, and apparently this new restoration is really good. So I'm, uh, yeah, really gonna, I'm pretty, pretty tempted to pick that up right now, actually. It's on their homepage as well, the office site. Um, they also have that uh, Violent Saturday film uh, from Richard Fleischer, who made oh, right. Sonnet Green. Um, so 
it looks like there's an that's like a new line that they're producing now, the Eureka yeah. Classics. Yeah, uh, but no spine numbers, so uh, <laughs> I, I won't be picking that one up. Yeah, actually, if they're going to do this. Yeah, if they put if they start putting one, twos, and threes on them, that will be it. That'll be my new my new thing. That yeah. they've missed a trick there. That that's uh, yeah, done move there. So uh, we will be back when they announce the third quarter releases. I think they said that they will be coming um, in May. I think at the end of May or something, uh, they will be tweeting out their new announcements. So. Um, I tell you one that I did actually pick up, and I'm yet to watch it. And there was a brilliant article about it, um, which was spine number eight eighty-eight, Waking Fright. Um, mm-hmm. I, I read a brilliant article about it in um, Sight and Sound, and I've got the I've got the disc, the disc in front of me at the moment. Great artwork on mm-hmm. it, and apparently this is a real kind of strange exploitation film, and um, it's kind of. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching it. I've got a massive pile of films by the telly at the moment that I need to watch because the other one as well that came through was Hands Over the City, um, Spy Number 87. Fantastic artwork as well on that. And I really implore people to see that film because um, it is... Firstly, I mean, I, I put the disc in and just had a quick check of the picture. The picture is incredible on this one. And it's an amazing film kind of set in Naples in the 60s. And it's got Rod Steiger in it actually speaking Italian, which is quite strange. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah great film um i i watched it i think i was doing a criterion episode and i i, I uh, was completely blown away by it so okay. definitely check it out great a film that i'm looking forward to that has been recently released is the white Sog. Uh, it's just, just a, such a notorious film even though the cover is horrible just yeah. a, a sound full of film yeah yeah got that in front of me now um haven't seen it before um i think i, I, I think i must already own it on criterion as well mm. Um, and have never got around to watching it, so it's in the pile to be, uh, along with Serpico, of course, as well, which I have. I think I own that on DVD as well, but I picked up this Blu-ray of it, and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, one of those it, terribly serious Al Pacino performance type films where I, I don't think there's much shouting in Serpico, but uh, it's definitely one of those iconic 70s films. Yes. Okay, so wrapping things up, you can find us on moccast.blogspot.com you can send us an email at mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Tumblr and so on and so on. I'm uh, Masters of Cinemacast. So uh, thank you so much for listening and until next time, goodbye. See ya.